We began, in, uh, of course, in chapter 1 and saw Paul's introduction and greeting and longing to be in Rome. We saw his thesis statement in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. The gospel, basically, is his th- thesis statement and uh, that righteousness comes to us through faith from first to last, believing and trusting in Christ. Then he sat out from verses 18 of chapter 1 all the way through verse 20 of chapter 3 to show the universal need for the gospel, the universal need for a Savior. None can save themselves. None are right with God in and of themselves. Not the Gentile, as you see as we finished up chapter 1, and then certainly not the Jew as we went through chapter 2 and uh, have come some halfway or a little more halfway now through chapter 3, culminating with verses 19. So 19 and 20 sum up that section between 118 and 320, that all are sinful, both Jews and Greeks, all under sin, all need a Savior. None can save themselves by keeping God's law. So I'm going to pick up reading in verse 19 of chapter 3 and read through 26, and uh, then we'll focus on 24 to 26 this morning in the sermon. This is God's Word, verse 19 of chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thus far God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, may your spirit apply your word to our hearts in accord with our needs. Save the lost. Sanctify the saved. Lift high your son, Father. Help me to preach your word accurately and truthfully. Use me as an instrument through which you deliver your truth to your people. Help us to hear it as your word, to love it, to seek it to dwell in it, to seek to understand it and live in its light. May your spirit be powerfully at work through the preaching and in the hearing of your word. Though we pray for your blessing, we look to you expectantly and trust you to bless us with your truth in your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. November November 1st, 1950 started like many other days. The president was taking a nap. 
He was doing so in Blair House because renovations were going on in the White House. So guards were set around the house and it seemed like an ordinary day. But what they didn't know at that time is a couple of men who wanted to draw attention to uh, the Puerto Rico independence movement had thought what better way to draw attention than to assassinate the President of the United States. So they had cased the Blair House and they were about to strike in an attempt to assassinate President Truman. Officer Leslie Kofelt was stationed in one of the guard booths at the corner of the house. Suddenly, shots rang out. It was the biggest gunfight in Secret Service history, and it had begun. Officer Kofelt was shot several times. He was taken down. But he struggled to his feet and was able to take aim and take one of those men out. And the other Secret Service agents took the other guy out. He slumped to the ground and passed away after that gallant attempt. But the attempt to assassinate the president failed because of those men, especially that man, who were dedicated to sacrificing themselves if necessary to save the president. The president was unharmed. And that officer's sacrifice pictures a much greater sacrifice that we're looking at as we're looking into Romans. The self-sacrifice, the willing self-sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ to save His people. So we've seen where we've come. We are in the place finally that we've turned the corner from the universal sin and universal need for the gospel. We've begun to talk about justification. At the end of chapter 3, he told us how we can't be justified by our own effort at, at the end of 19 and 20. And now he's telling us how we are justified. And last week we focused on the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us, so our right standing. This week we see the, the suffering of Christ and the death of Christ, the, the payment for our sin that was necessary. So as we put together both the active and passive obedience of Christ, we see our Savior and what He has done and who He is and how He saves a sinner. We'll talk a, good, a little bit at least about propitiation today. And uh, the fact that we live because Jesus died as our wrath bearer. But here's the main point, the main thing I want you to take away from this sermon is trust Jesus alone because in Him wrath has been suffered so that justice, God's justice, has been satisfied. Through Jesus' suffering, justice has been satisfied. So first point, trust Jesus alone because in Him wrath has been fully suffered. Look in 24b, and we're overlapping a little bit with last week's sermon, but we didn't spend much time on this last week. After saying that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says we are justified by His grace as a gift. The glorious good news that our salvation is a gift to us. And now He says through, through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Look at it again. Through the redemption that is in 
Christ Jesus. Notice the specific nature of that again. Only in Him has our sin debt been paid. No one else could pay because no one else is righteous. No one else is the God-man. No one else could give us salvation as a gift. And Paul now turns and tells us how. And this word he mentions the first is redemption. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus alone. Only in Him. We, we brought this out last week. It doesn't say through the redemption in whatever you think is the right way. No, it's, it's limited. It's focused. It's on and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one by whom we have this redemption that is acceptable to God. So he says, redemption is found in Jesus Christ. What is redemption? It's paying, we brought this out a little bit last week, paying a ransom to set someone free. And it, the fact is, Jesus himself was our ransom. He sacrificed himself. He is our redeemer. He paid the price for our freedom. We've already seen we couldn't pay it. We were in bondage. We needed a deliverer. We needed someone to come and set us free from our slavery and sin, from our deadness and sin, from our lost condition. And we know that Scripture has told us over and over, the soul that sins shall die. There's a payment to be made. And if we are going to be justified, that forensic declaration of justification declared righteous as a gift. We not only need His righteousness imputed to us as we focused on last week, but we need our sin dealt with and taken away. And Paul is saying that this justification comes to us as a gift through first redemption that is found in Jesus Christ who paid the price. Ephesians 1.7 now we're jumping in, verse 7, we've already seen that we're chosen by His grace. You can look up in verse 4. In verse 7, we're following down and it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. So when you see blood there, you, know, you remember in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, and it says the life is in the blood, so that when the blood was poured out, the life was poured out. So that's speaking of His death for us. And through His death, we have forgiveness of sins. Without faith in Him, we've already seen that as a requisite, then there is no forgiveness. Look at Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. He gave Himself as a ransom for the people that had been given to Him before the foundation of the world. Everyone who would come to faith in Him through the work of the Spirit applying the gospel. Everyone trusting by God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ can know that He paid the price. He paid the ransom. He, he was the price that delivers us from our sin. Let's speak a little bit more about that. Look, Paul uses another word. He says, We're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
There's another one of those words that I told you we were going to talk about. And we talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. We talk about a lot of different things. And I tell you, you need to understand them because they're Bible words. And here's another one. It says that Jesus was put forward as a propitiation. What in the world does that mean? We know it's only found in Jesus. And so Jesus stepped in. He stepped in to take the divine bullet of justice for us. He's the one. He diverted the wrath away from us onto Himself. He is the one who suffered to pay the penalty for our sin. He suffered in our place. He took what we deserve. You remember we talked about last week, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that He who knew no sin became sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, He took our guilt upon Himself and He paid the penalty. He took the cup of wrath due His people. And that wrath was poured out on Him so that we might be delivered from wrath and reconciled to God. So He took what we deserve, divine wrath and condemnation. He took God's Wrath for us. See, sin had to be paid for. If we're going to be saved, our sin has to be dealt with. It can't. He's not the big grandfather who can just sweep the grandchild's sin under the rug, right? See, he's just and holy and righteous and pure. He's promised to deal with sin. The soul that sins must die. There is a punishment. There is a penalty for sin. And all are sinners, so we all are due to pay this penalty. Jesus steps in to redeem us by paying the price. And that price is He had to suffer the blow of justice. He had to take the wrath of God due us. And it was a serious, serious, serious thing. Imagine the Son of God, the God-man in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. It's a real condition where there's so much stress that the blood becomes mingled with the sweat and the sweat comes out as red drops. He knew what he was facing. That cup, picturesque language, that cup of wrath, he had to drink it dry. He had to take the condemnation to His people. He was the Son of God who would suffer for His people. And He sweat drops of blood in anticipation. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He willingly went to that cross. He willingly suffered. And a lot of times we make a big deal about the physical suffering of Christ. And it was horrible. But a lot of people were crucified. A lot of people endured that kind of suffering. So as horrible as that physical suffering was, it was nothing. It was nothing compared to bearing the wrath of God for the sins of His people, both Jew and Gentile. He took our hell upon Himself. It had to be paid. And we don't face it because He took it. It didn't just sort of vanish. On that cross, 
He was our propitiation. He was the one who took the condemnation due. He was the one that steps in and takes that wrath due us. Remember, he lived a righteous life. Yes, out of love for the Father and to glorify the Father, but to provide a righteousness for his people that would be given to them or imputed to them because he would die and pay the penalty for our sins, wiping out the sin record, having now his record declared righteous, accepted as children of God. Don't miss that. The wrath due us was poured on him. The hell you deserve. If you're trusting in Jesus, he took on that cross. And see, he could drink that dry because he wasn't just a man. He was a man. But he was God and man. Two natures, one person forever. Haven't talked about that in a while. Hypostatic union. But we will talk about it again. He was able to drink that cup dry in those hellish hours on that cross to such an extent that he could say before he left the cross, it is Finished. To Telestai. Paid in full. So that those who are trusting in him can know his propitiation was successful. He paid the price. He took it on the cross. 1 Peter 3.18 Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous him... The unrighteous us, that he might bring us to God or reconcile us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Resurrection. He's a risen Savior. You want to know if the gospel's true? Resurrection proves it. Best proven fact in history, if you don't use a double standard, he really was raised from the grave. Over 500 people saw him at one time, not just a couple of people. Nobody made the story up. One of the things that proves that is the weakness of the things that try to explain it away. Silly things like he swooned, he didn't die. He died, he suffered, he was the Lamb of God and he suffered for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might reconcile us to God. Amazing grace. Think about that. The Son of God would come and die for you. Would die for His enemies, Romans 5 tells us. And we'll get there. That's what we were. His sinful, rotten, wrath-worthy enemies of God. That for some reason He set His love on and gave to His Son. That His Son would come and live for us and die for us and be raised from the grave. Amazing grace. You can see why John Newton would write the hymn that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found. Was blind but now I see. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. Are you amazed? Or does it you just yawn? Yeah, he should have done that. Are you amazed at his grace? If you're not, you don't know who you are. You don't know what, the pro- what a problem sin is. You know how, don't know how unworthy you are. And yet he came. He didn't have to come. He could have left us all lost. He did not have to come and save us. 
But he did. He took the suffering. He took the wrath. He took it upon himself. He paid the price. He is our propitiation, our wrath bearer. So that in him we might be the righteousness of God and get the blessing he deserved. He took our curse. Hebrews 10, 12 and 13. When Christ had suffered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. See, that one sacrifice fulfills all of the pictures and prophecies and types and shadows of the Old Testament that just covered and pointed to the one who would come and offered the real sacrifice that would save his people. Christ offered for, for all time a single sacrifice and he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? It's finished. It's accomplished. He's on the throne. Now watch this. I don't have time to go into eschatology this morning, but this will help you. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. He's seated and he's not getting up until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. There's an Old Testament picture of what's going on here. On the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, two goats were brought to the tabernacle or the temple. And one of those goats was killed and its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And that was the sacrifice of propitiation. The satisfaction, or at least the covering and pointed to Christ when He would come. That, that satisfied God's wrath and the need for someone to die for the people. And the other goat, after hands were laid on it, was sent into the wilderness and freed. And here you see the, 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 the relation. They're all there together, but a couple of different things. Our sins are taken away because he paid the penalty. You see on the other goat that was sent to Azazel, he, 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 the, the high priest's hands were laid on his head, symbolically transferring the guilt of Israel to this goat. And then this goat is sent away. Picturing the sins being taken away or expiation that was accomplished. So in Christ and His sacrifice, our debt is paid and our sins are taken away because He bore them and took the condemnation that they deserve. But those sacrifices, and I said this a while ago, bloods, blood of bull and goats could never take away sin, but it covered and pointed until Christ would come and be the propitiation that we needed by His blood, by His death. What did John say when he saw Him coming? John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God, that, that expiation, that taking away part, who takes away the sin of the world. Because He's been the propitiation. Who has took the condemnation and dealt with the guilt. Psalm 103. I encourage you to read and meditate on Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. See, Paul's saying this glorious news of the righteousness of God that we don't have being manifested in Jesus Christ, being the fulfillment of all the old covenant prophecies that when we trust in Him, we get the righteousness of God imputed to us. Our sin went to the cross with Him. His righteousness on our record now. We are the children of God because He suffered in our place. We're justified by His grace as a gift through redemption. That He paid the price because He was our propitiation.
So what's the result? What's the result of this sacrifice? Look at 25b. 26. This was to show God's righteousness. See, he, 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 he wasn't failing to deal with sin. And he, and there was always coming a time when Christ would really deal with sin that was pictured and prophesied in the Old Testament. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. He had waited long to truly deal with them, although that grace was applied through those pictures and promises and prophecies in that Old Covenant. Old Covenant saints, New Covenant saints, we'll see that when we get there in 4, justified the same way. God is righteous and holy and sin had to be punished and that was one of the lessons of all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament. But we see it come to bear and come to fruition in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says it was to show His righteousness at the present time and what was the purpose of His righteous life, of His sacrificial death, of His redeeming us, paying the price, of Him being the propitiation, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world upon Himself the Jews and Gentiles, all who had been given to him and takes them away because he suffered and paid the price and satisfied justice. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. See, God's not going to compromise his holiness. God's not going to compromise his justice. He won't accept you in another way because it has to be a just way. It has to be a, a way that it's in line with his, who He is and His justice and holiness and righteousness. And He's provided this Savior so that He might be, look what it says, just and the justifier of the one who works really hard at it. Did I wake you up? He's just and the justifier or one, of the one who does the best He can do and then God will do the rest. No, sola fide, faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We talked a lot about the nature of faith last week, so I'll point you back to that. But it's basically knowing what the gospel is, believing it's true, and coming, turning to trust. Faith is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a resting of all of my hope in Him for salvation. It's a, it's a throwing myself upon Him. If He doesn't save me, I won't be saved. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone? If so, for you, justice has been satisfied by His righteous life and His righteousness has been imputed to you by faith. That's the last week. And this week, justice has been satisfied by His sacrificial death for us so that we are cleansed, forgiven, and redeemed. And we receive that through faith. Notice it's, it's, it's repeated more than once in, in our section here between 24 and 26. If you look back in 25a, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a sacrifice of atonement, as the one who through his giving of himself to suffer our penalty would reconcile us to God, to be received, look at it, by faith. Not by works. Remember, we can't save ourselves that way. End of chapter 3, we'll see that again in chapter 4. But by faith. 
the hands being the instruments, illustrate the instrument of faith that receives the gift. It's received by faith, trusting in His sacrifice, trusting in His righteousness, resting in Him. And then in the last verse again, He's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, it's not automatically given to everyone. When it says he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it's not talking about any, every single person, but without distinction. Jew and Gentile, everyone given to him before the foundation of the world. God is just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He alone lived righteous. He alone died and atoned for our sin. He alone is the gift that saved and we must receive Him by faith alone. And there's no room left because we didn't do it. There's no room left for our boasting. We'll see that in 27 next time. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Has God convicted you of your sin? That you're a sinner who's lost and needs a Savior. Have you turned, have you repented and trusted in Jesus? And therefore are living a life of faith and repentance. Have you received Him alone (coughs) to make you right with God through His righteous life and through His sacrificial propitiation, vicarious for us, substitution, Look, I'll finish that quote in Hebrews 10 in verse 14. For by a single offering he has, now watch this, perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And that ought to make you shout hallelujah, what a Savior. He paid for all of your sin if he paid for any of it. If you're trusting in him, he's the gift. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are clothed in His righteousness. You are a child of God. And every bit of your perfecting was purchased through that single offering, through that propitiation of Himself. Who are those being sanctified but those who have been justified by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ? Every soul that He justifies, He sanctifies. He's transforming us into the image of Christ. He's making all of our trials work for us and not against us now. Count it all joy because He's at work in the midst of your trials, applying the Word to you to make you like Christ. But you can know all during that time of transformation that He has perfected you forever because your record through before the judgment bar of God in heaven is the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ so those who have been justified by faith alone are those who are trusting in Christ alone are the ones being sanctified and this verse is telling us that we have therefore been perfected yes through the imputation of His righteousness by faith, received by faith alone, and through the offering that He offered of Himself, the God-man, the perfect one, the unblemished Lamb, who was the sacrifice on whom the wrath of God was poured that was due us, and He drank that cup dry so that He might reconcile us and perfect us, that we might be accepted in God's sight.
So it comes to us as a gift through the redemption, the price he paid, which was him being our propitiation. So what do we do with this? Just a few points of application. First of all, believe the good news. Christ lived a perfect life for you. He died a perfect death for you. He is your propitiation if you're trusting in Him. He is your sin bearer. Therefore, He is the wrath bearer so that there is none left for you. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, there'll be discipline and correction and growth, but there is no condemnation left for you because He took it all. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, because what Paul said in in 1 Corinthians 15, he died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and he was raised the third day, gloriously shown to be the Son of God. God has sacrificed His Son and now He commands all people everywhere to turn, to repent and trust in Him. And if you're trusting in Jesus, and I'm asking you again, are you believing in Jesus? Have you cried out to God for mercy and rested all of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? If you have, you've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. You've been clothed. You're a child of God. and All of your sin was dealt with through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one we receive by faith alone. See, we're so bad about thinking we have to save ourselves. Now, we don't think it in that language. But we sort of act like and and believe like, you know, there are certain things He could never forgive us. We've got to have more sort of penance for some things. Or we, we we, we take our sins and we lay them at the cross and then we go and pick them back up again. Right? We let the world, the flesh, and the devil convince us that they're still there. And the story about the devil can, you know, telling Martin Luther of all of his sins. And at the end of it, he said, you forgot one or a few. Forgot a few. Now right across them all, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Paid for by propitiation. The Son of God has saved us. He is our Redeemer, our propitiation. So flee from the wrath to come by fleeing to the Son of God. Fleeing to Christ, the one who has satisfied the wrath due us and our sin. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised for us. He's reigning for us. And He's coming again for us someday. And when He appears, we will be like Him. Glorified. He will finish the work that He's begun. I just want to conclude with one more thought in case you haven't thought of this. The cross did not cause God to love us. The cross did not cause God to love us. In fact, the opposite is true. God's love for us caused Him to offer His Son as our propitiation. And beloved, that's what the Bible is all about. Love set on us before the foundation of the world. Love foreshadowed in all of that Old Testament. Love manifested in the life of Christ, in the death of Christ, in the resurrection, and gifted through faith to us. 
You want to know if God loves you? We all want to know that, don't we? We struggle with that. Does he really love me? Let me look inside and see how I feel. Uh Uh-oh. Not finding much proof in there. You're looking in the wrong place. Look to the cross. That's how you know he loves you. And if you're trusting in him, he did that. If you have any love for God, R.C. Sproul's, any real love for God, God's Spirit put that in you. No, you're not perfected yet. Remember the verse? You're being sanctified. But if you're trusting in Jesus, you've been perfected forever. Forgiven for all sin. Cleansed and clothed in His righteousness. So if you are trusting in Christ, God loves you. Look to the cross. Look, 1 John says, Did you know that Jesus wants us to know that the Father loves us as much as He loves Him? Go read John 17. That's one of the things He prays for, that we'll know. Let's go ahead and believe it. Look at this. It's kind of like Sort of the John 3.16 of, of, of 1 John. Look at 1 John 4.10. I might have gave them the wrong reference. I, I'm left out the first here. But anyway, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, because we have not. But that, but, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The reason there is a propitiation, the reason there is a gospel, the reason there was a cross is because for some unimaginable reason, read Ephesians 1 and other passages, He set His love on us before the foundation of the world. Christ sacrificed Himself to save His people. So don't insult Him by trying to sacrifice yourself to save yourself. Turn and trust in Him and in Him alone for your salvation. Officer Leslie Kofelt is the only Secret Service agent to die taking a bullet for the President of the United States. Others were shot that day, and others have been shot, but he's the only one that took it all the way, took a death, took a bullet to death to save the President. And Officer Kofelt and those around him saved President Truman's life that day. He died so that the President might live. And we should still remember him and be grateful for his sacrifice. But when you hear stories like that, I'm challenging you today to look, look at them, yes, be thankful for them, but look through them. Because as great as that act of service was, it pales in comparison to the very Son of God being the propitiation for our sins through his suffering and death. Look to Christ. Trust in Christ. For through faith in Him, we have eternal redemption through His blood.
to live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. I pray for those who are not sure that you would cause them to look to Christ and be sure. I pray for those who know they're not saved that you would work repentance in them, Lord, and faith in them that they might turn to Christ and be saved. I pray for the proud that you would humble them before it's too late that they would bow their knee to you now before they bow it in eternity when it will be too late. I pray for those of us who know you, Lord, but struggle with assurance that you'd root our hope in Christ and therefore help us to walk with great assurance. And I pray, Father, that you would work in us through this gospel that we would be in awe and amazed at your grace to such an extent that we can't help but talk about it with one another, with our families, with our co-workers, with our neighbors, with the world, that we would bring the good news to them of a perfectly righteous Savior who sacrificed himself, who was the propitiation for our sin, took the wrath due us, he was our sacrifice of atonement that both paid the penalty for our sins and takes them away and that we are clothed in His righteousness. Help us to take this gospel of Christ who died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and was raised the third day according to the Scriptures to those who don't know. But may we do that out of a heart of love for you that is rested in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone for your great, full-orbed salvation. Lord, help us to rest in Christ, to trust in Christ, to love you, Lord Jesus, and therefore to live for you, to encourage one another and strengthen one another in the faith, as well as be that light and salt that you've said we are. Lord, save and sanctify your people. We look to you and trust for it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.